When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to 3 and 30 Takeaways for Moms, Episode 29. Making the most of everyday moments to build connection with our children. Welcome to 3 and 30, a podcast for moms who want to create more meaning in motherhood. Each 30-minute episode will feature three doable takeaways for you to try at home with your family this week. I'm your host, Rachel Nielsen. Thank you so much for being here. Happy Mother's Day week, everyone. Is this a holiday that you love or do you hate it or are you kind of just like meh? I personally love Mother's Day because I love the excuse that it gives me to get my van professionally detailed as my Mother's Day gift to myself so I don't feel quite so much like I live in a pigsty every time I step in there. (laughs) And I love that I get to go take a long Sunday nap and let people pamper me on this day of the year. But I do know that this holiday can be full of a lot of emotions for a lot of women. Maybe sadness over infertility or over a strained relationship with their own mother or with their children. Guilt over mistakes they've made as a mother, disappointment if their family just sort of ignores the special day. And that is why I just get myself my own gifts, by the way. (laughs) With all of that in mind, I wanted to air a special episode the week of Mother's Day that I hope will be uplifting as we reflect on the small but significant ways that moms make a difference in the world. My guest is one of the mothers that I most admire. April Perry, the founder of the website Power of Moms, and she's going to be talking about her own remarkable mother and the memories that she has of her. So I recorded this episode a couple of weeks ago, and as I edited it and listened to it this week to get it ready to air, I couldn't figure out what to call it because there's so many different topics that April and I touch on and discuss. But then it came to me that I feel like a common thread throughout the episode is the memories that April's mom, Zoe, created for her within everyday moments of connection. Not like grand pre-planned events, but just by really listening to and being there for April when it mattered. So that's why I decided to title the episode, Making the Most of Everyday Moments to Build Connection. So I hope you walk away from this episode feeling inspired, not to do more as a mom, because none of us need that guilt, but to simply make more of what you're already doing by being more intentional with how you use those everyday moments. And I wanted to tell you also to stay tuned at the very end of the episode because there will be a chance for you to win a copy of April's book. 
So here's my episode with her, which starts with me reading an excerpt from an essay that she wrote that I found online at a time when I desperately needed it, when I had a really colicky newborn baby, my first, and I wasn't sure that I was cut out for motherhood. There's this crazy phenomenon going on right now. Good, devoted mothers get on Pinterest and blogs and Facebook and Twitter, and then they flip through parenting magazines and TV channels full of advertisements and media hype, and they're convinced they're not enough. They're convinced that everyone else has magnetic, alphabetized spice containers, and unless their garden parties are thematically accessorized with butterfly lanterns, and they're wearing the latest fashions in a size two, of course... There's no point in even showing up for the day. Last Saturday, this happened to me. I came home from a lovely day out with my extended family and had serious intentions to spend the evening dyeing Easter eggs and making bunny buns. By the time I got everyone settled and fed, however, I was so tired that I just laid on the couch and dozed while my children played and got themselves to bed. Around 8.30, when I finally had the energy to sit up, I decided to try out Pinterest for a few minutes until my husband got home. There it was, a thousand reasons why I'm failing at all things domestic. I don't make grilled cheese sandwiches look like ice cream. I don't even have seasonal throw pillows on my couches or live plants anywhere in my house. Is it really so hard? Can't I pull myself together and wrap some candles in green foliage and bring happiness to our decor with bright fabrics and handcrafted photo frames? As I was trying to calm my frenzied state of mind, my husband came home and held me tight. We talked about our day, and he told me how much he loves me and that he wants our boys to marry someone like me. I fell asleep snuggled under his arm. The following morning, our children enthusiastically bounded into our bedroom and tucked themselves into our covers. My four-year-old gave me an arm massage, and we all sat there together, joking, laughing, planning the day ahead, and enjoying that special feeling of family. Reflecting on the discouragement I'd felt the night before, I realized that my family doesn't care about what I see on Pinterest. They care about me. That is the beginning portion of an essay called Your Children Want You by April Perry, who is the co-founder of the website Power of Moms, and in the years since, she's founded the website Learn Do Become with her husband. And she's been on this podcast before, teaching us about organization and time management. She is a dear friend of mine, and it all started with this essay that inspired me at a dark time in my motherhood when I really needed it. So April, I'm so excited to have you back on 3 and 30 podcast. (laughs) Thank you so much, Rachel. I'm glad we get to talk today because all of us, I think, are going through a lot of the same things. (laughs) We can help each other. We're all going to be a lot more sane, right? Yes. And I thought as I read through that, that it's interesting I'm in a totally different place in my motherhood experience and the same things don't discourage me anymore that discouraged me when my son was a baby, but there's new things that discourage me now. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) So it's always good to have these reminders that our children just want us. They don't want these perfect idealized versions of mothers that we see elsewhere. And today we get to talk about a really special topic in the context of this, that our children just want us. Today we get to talk about April's mother, who 
was an angel and you're going to love her. Um, In that essay, Your Children Want You, that I read, a little further down in the essay, which April's going to read at the end of the episode, she wrote about how her mom was starting to lose her memory and what that was like. And it that progression continued and her mom developed Alzheimer's. And in those years, April wrote a book called Thursdays with Zoe. Her mom's name was Zoe. And I actually had the privilege of editing that book for April. And so really getting to know her mom better and loving her mom more through all of these stories of her life. And so today we're going to talk about Zoe and we're going to talk about that book and some of my favorite chapters. So can you just tell us about the experience of writing that book? Oh, I had to go get a little box of tissues before I started recording (laughs) with you because it is probably one of the sweetest processes I've ever gone through in my life. And so basically what happened is my mom you know, started losing her memory probably about eight years ago. And it was just a little bit at first. And then we realized she, it was a serious thing and she had Alzheimer's and it was so hard. I would go visit her every week and then I would come home and tell my husband how she had forgotten something new that week that she hadn't forgotten before. And I really wanted to record some of the best stories of what she had taught me as a way just to honor her, like as I was losing her to start writing about her. And so my husband sent me away to a hotel like once a month, about once a month, sometimes it wasn't that frequent, for about four years. And I wrote the book when I went on my hotel nights. And then when I would go visit my mom, I would read little excerpts of what I had written to her. And my dad would come in and my siblings would come in and all my kids would come in. So I would sit and do these readings <laughs> to my mom about her life. And it was such a celebration. She passed away about six months ago. So, you know, we're now she's, you know, she's gotten through <laughs> the challenge and we have fond memories of her now. But it was seriously, like, as I'm thinking about it over those four years of writing this book and reading them reading the stories to her and helping my kids get to know her through her stories. I like, I feel so happy and so grateful that there really isn't sadness that she's gone. She was, you know, in her eighties when she passed away, she had a long, good life and lots of children and grandchildren to carry it on, but it was just so precious. And what I think the main thing it did for me was help me to realize the kind of mother that I want to be. And help me realize where my focus needs to be. Because what happens is whenever I get off focus, that's when I start feeling like I'm feeling. That's when I feel like I'm discouraged. But when I can remember what she taught me and who she was, it helps me come right back to center and realize this isn't as hard as we make it out to be. (laughs) We make it complicated than it needs to be. And um, the simple, beautiful stories, they that's what creates the strong families. Yeah. And every chapter in your book is a story or a memory of your mom and what she taught you or who she was, the kind of person that she was. Mm -hmm. And none of those chapters mention any of the things that we often stress over as moms. You're not, Mm -hmm. you didn't write a whole chapter on the immaculate house that she kept or any, anything like that. It was about her and her heart. And that's what you grew to love. And that's what taught you. And so before we started recording, we chatted a little bit and you said, you know, we want to focus on the real work of a mother. The rest of it is important Mm -hmm. and it has to get done. But the real work of a mother 
if we're doing that, which is loving our kids, then we're not failing. Absolutely. So we are going to share three takeaways today that are based from stories from April's book. Um, So let's just start in with the first one. What is the first lesson that you learned from your mom about how to love your kids well? Okay, so we're going to talk about celebrating with our children. And the story is that it was my senior year in high school and we were applying for college. And I, of course, waited till the last minute to send in my application. And it was a joint application scholarship and getting into the school. And my mom overnighted it for me because I waited till the very last minute, totally procrastinated. And I was sure that I wasn't going to get the scholarship. I was like, mom, I sent it in the last minute. I'm sure it wasn't very good. I don't think I'm really competing that well with the other students. And I was just sure that I it hadn't been as good as she thought it was. But she was like, no, April, you're going to get the scholarship. She was just totally believed in me, the whole process. So then I was at uh, a musical rehearsal. We were doing a school, school musical my senior year, and there's this little tapping at the choir room door. And there's probably 30 students there, plus the teachers, and we're in the middle of these rehearsals, and it's my mom. And I'm like, what is my mom doing here? So I go out to the little staircase, and I'm like, mom, what are you doing? And she's jumping up and down, and she's holding this big envelope. And she's like, April, it came, it came, and she was jumping up and down. She was so excited for me to open it. And I looked at it and I saw it was a school and I was like, mom, it's probably just a letter telling me I didn't get it. Like, why are you coming here and you know, making this big deal of it? She just handed me, she's like, April, you have to open it. And I opened it and like, I did get the scholarship and, mm-hmm. and like, it was, I was excited to have gotten the scholarship, but the memory I have was the look on her face and how excited she was for me and how she wanted to see me open it. And we got home, she had me call all my siblings and tell them. <laughs> and I have about seven siblings, so we were making a lot of phone calls telling everybody. But she was so, so excited for me. And I just remember as I'm sitting there and she's just hugging me. And I just remember the thought was that my mom really believes in me. Like mm-hmm. I hadn't really believed in myself. And I think that's something even to this day, like I struggle. A lot of those feelings I have are, well, April, who do you think you are to do this? Or who do you think you are to do that? And my mom was always the one who was like my biggest cheerleader saying, April, you were made for this. You can do this. You've got it all. Like she was the one cheering <laughs> me on. And just that feeling when you have someone who believes in you that much and who cheers you on that much it gives you a confidence that, I mean, honestly, I can't think of like a more beautiful gift. Oh, I love that. And just that moment, I can picture it of her jumping up and down. I mean, what that showed you is what's important to you is important to me, you Mm -hmm. know, as a mom, like if we can communicate that to our children, what's important to you is important to me and celebrate with them and honor them. And I also think about if you had not gotten the scholarship, how it would have been so comforting to have her there with you if you were disappointed and you could have heard her words of advice or knowing her, she probably would have made some feisty little remark about how it was, it was their (laughs) loss. (laughs) Totally. Well, there are some other stories in the book where I did lose things, you know, I'd run for seventh grade governor and they told me I won and then they realized it was a mistake and I actually hadn't won. And my mom was like there by my side because she knew what a loss that was to me as like a 13 year old girl. Mm -hmm. And so I think that it's not that you always have to be a winner in order to earn her, you know, her admiration or anything like that, but also that she came to the school 
to yeah. give that to me. She could have waited till I got home and said, hey, April, something came. But she drove and we were about maybe 10 minutes from the school. So it wasn't a huge distance. But still, I mean, she had to go locate me in the choir room and come up right in the middle of rehearsal. Like she couldn't wait. She couldn't wait to, to show me. And it was just that sweetness and that enthusiasm and that I mattered so much to her. I mattered more than her afternoon nap. I mattered more than her cleaning up the kitchen or whatever else she could have done. Like that, yeah. that I was her priority. And, and that's she has kids eight kids, right? Like you're one of eight. Right. Well, so five of them were already, no, actually six of them were already out of the house. I'm the seventh of eight. So she mm-hmm. only had two. So I do need to just um, make sure this is clear because she was 42 when she had me. So like I just turned 40. It's like me having a baby in two years and then 18 years from then (laughs) going to the choir room. So sometimes people think like, oh, man, your mom was so awesome and she did all these things for you. But you have to realize she was like in her 50s when late 50s when Mm -hmm. a lot of this was happening, especially when I was a new mom and, you know, growing up. And so... She wasn't like a 20-year-old mom. So as I talked to my older sisters, they're like, April, you had a kind of a different version of mom because we had the version that was pregnant and sick. (laughs) She was trying to take care of all this stuff. And my my dad was still building his career. This was when my dad was semi-retired. She was older. She was seasoned. She'd already gone through six children, right? So I think I have to give myself a break sometime and think, okay, my mom wasn't doing what I'm doing right now. This was later on in her years. So which is just to, we're not all comparing ourselves, right? Yes, I love that. I'm glad that you pointed out that that distinction of seasons of life. And that but that you can still celebrate with your kids and make them feel special, even if it's in smaller ways when you're more buried in young children or whatever it may be. Um, because all of your siblings just adore your mom. And, oh, totally. And totally. the way that she made them feel. I think when I think of that college acceptance, you know, your situation with your mom. I think about when my little sister applied to colleges. So my mom passed away when I was 19. My sister was 16. And so Mm. it was just my little sister and my dad at home. And so they had this special relationship and she had applied to go to Stanford and she's super smart, but we knew it was a bit of a reach when she got the letter she, that she did not get accepted to Stanford, she called my dad at work and told him, and she said, it's fine, dad. We knew that, you know, I probably wouldn't get in. And, and she went on with her day and went to her choir practice or whatever as well. We're also mm-hmm. choir theater people. <laughs> and then she came home and you have to understand my dad usually like works long hours and he had come home and he had made a banner and hung it over our garage that said Stanford sucks. <laughs> Okay, I love that. So cute. <laughs> and like he was like this he's like this, you know, kind of you would never I've never heard my dad say that the had word to make sucks. Her laugh. Like he was always the one saying like don't say that word, you know? And but he pulled out all the stops to make her feel better and she said that she just pulled up and just died laughing and went inside and they he'd gotten her favorite ice cream and they just shared their ice cream together, you so know, cute. and so it's like celebrating with them and and sorrowing with them, yeah. um, just being there in those moments of just oh, knowing that, that what's important to them is important to you. So that's a so great cute. takeaway. Oh, so cute. And what's your second takeaway? 
Okay, so this is about sharing love at the crossroads. So I have a chapter called The Best 12 Minutes of the Day. And we had talked about the best nine minutes of the day a lot at Power of Moms. Uh, my friend Trisha and I did a little podcast on it where basically she said she took this parenting class. They were preparing to adopt a foster child. And they said the first three minutes of the morning, the three minutes after they get home from school, and the three minutes before they go to bed. Those are like the best nine minutes of the day. So then as I was thinking about that, I was like, well, I'm going to add just a little few extra and I'll just, I'll share those in a minute. Do you want me to just give those first three examples though, what my mom would do? Yeah. Yeah. And what do you mean by the best, the best nine minutes? So they're basically saying when you're parenting your children, a lot of times we feel like, oh, I'm on as a parent all day long, which, you know, in some ways is true. But they said that if you can get these nine minutes right, that's actually going to have a huge impact on your children because those are like the moments, like when you know when your child first wakes up. If he wakes up and you're like, "Man, you overslept," or "Hey, we got to get going. You're you're you know we got to be in a rush," or something like that. If you wake a child up like that, it kind of sets off their day a little off. But when you can wake them up in a happier way, it actually it's like a domino effect. So basically, these are the nine minutes that have the biggest domino effect on the rest of the day, mm -hmm. which I think gives a lot of comfort. And that I think would build would build connection. Like if you can yes. get these nine minutes right as far as building a connection with them, then even if there's some, you know, you're distracted at other times of the day or whatever, at least you got the best nine minutes in, the, yeah. in these important, impactful moments. Well, and it's easy to be consistent too if you just know, oh, this is what we do right when they wake up as opposed to at 9.47 in the morning. <laughs> This is what I'm going to do. Yes. It's easy to be consistent when it's just with a routine. So how did your mom do it? Okay. So first we would wake up in the morning. I'd be, you know, coming out of the front room or whatever. She would always be sitting on the couch with her like scriptures or reading materials and her highlighters and pens. That's always what she said. But then she would say, ah, look who woke up. And that's like, that's exactly how she would say it. If you asked any of my siblings, that's exactly how she would say it. So she was like, she had just been waiting for you to get out of bed and couldn't how wait. how you felt. Yeah, you felt like she was so excited. Look who woke up, and you just felt so loved. Like, oh, hi, mom. And so everybody would say, oh, good morning, mom. Because how do you respond to that? You just have to be like, oh, I love you so much. Mm -hmm. So it was just a sweet little way she woke us up, or we would see her in the morning. So I actually say that to my kids now when they get up in the morning and say, oh, look who woke up. And what I wanted to say though when they were little was, why are you up so early? <laughs> Can you please go back <laughs> to bed, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> like, they would get up so early. But um, but I would try to change that programming. Uh, and then the first three minutes after getting home, she would say, you're home at last. And I mean, that's what I say to my kids too. Yesterday, Grace got home from her track practice and I'm like, you're home. And then what happens is the person coming in the door will join you in the part that says at last. So you say it in harmony when you say it together. <laughs> so it was just cute. Like whenever you walked in the door, you heard someone say, oh, you're home at last. In fact, that's what we have written on her headstone is mm. your home at last. Like that was kind of this little memory from her. I love that. And I know that was kind of the theme of your, the talk that you gave at yes. her memorial service was your home at last and how she made yeah. you feel that all through your life. And then you were able to say that 
you know, yes. about her going home to be with God, your home at last. Yes. So beautiful. It was so, well, it was precious because our, all the siblings were sitting around and we were trying to prepare for what to put on our headstone. And we were like thinking of a variety of things. You only get like 22 symbols or like spaces. So you had to like keep it kind of short. And I was like, what about your home at last? And all of my siblings were like, yes, like that's what needs to be on her, on our headstone. And so that was when we got home. We always knew we'd hear her. And then the three minutes before we went to bed, she would be blowing kisses really fast. She'd be like, a, she would blow lots of kisses really fast. And then she'd say, je t'aime, à demain, hasta mañana, which is like, I love you and see you tomorrow in French and then see you tomorrow in Spanish. So, but she didn't actually know those languages, but she like knew those phrases. <laughs> so she was just, it was just funny. She was just so cute. And, and she would, it was just this cute way. She'd always say, you know, see you tomorrow, basically. And then um, the three extra minutes, it was right before we would leave the house. So it was so funny when we were little and we were going to elementary school, it was just right behind our house. And so she would run out to the porch and she would pretend like she was Cinderella saying goodbye to the fairy godmother. And she would say goodbye, goodbye, which is exactly how Cinderella said it. And so that was her goodbye when we would leave. Or as we got older, she used to, and like the grandkids would be in the car with us and we're leaving the house. She would say, okay, I'm going to run. And then she would chase the car down the street and she'd pretend like she was going to run super fast, but she wasn't fast. So all the grandkids would just laugh at her because she usually was wearing a big muumuu. She loved wearing muumuus. So she's like this older lady in a big muumuu running down the street. It was Aww. so funny. And then when she couldn't run anymore because she had hip surgery, she would do the Macarena in like in place. So as you're leaving, she's doing the Macarena. She loved that dance for some reason. And um, and we would just literally turn the music on. We got the Macarena music once I got my first, you know, iPod. And we'd play the Macarena and we'd all do it with her while she while would leave. And so basically you would leave with a laugh. Like you would be smiling and laughing when you left. I mean, you really think about it. So those 12 minutes, you're smiling in the morning when you wake up. You're smiling when you leave. You smile when you get home and you smile when you go to bed because she's just so cute. Yeah. And it was just like, she was just this constant in our lives that you just knew no matter how bad of a day she'd had, she would pull out her cute little sayings and be there for you at every step. And I love that it was rituals, like sayings that she said over and over and over that have become part of your family, like vernacular, you know, <laughs> totally. and that's a gift to our kids. And we need to think about if we have some of those um, or if our parents did things that we want to start saying these sayings and these different things can be passed on. I love so that you sweet. shared those from your mom. And then what is the third and final lesson that you, well, not the final, because there's a million we could talk about. <laughs> but what's the third takeaway for this podcast of what you learned from your mom about the real work of being a mother? Yeah, I think it's just letting your children know that they are not failing. I think a lot of times we suffer from black and white thinking where you think either I'm a success or I'm a failure and there's nothing in between. So I just have a little story that it was when my mom could still drive before her memory started going, but she had had knee surgery and I went to visit her in the hospital and she was just laying there. And of course, I start telling her all my problems <laughs> while she's in the hospital. She was just that kind of mom where she just wanted to hear how I was doing. And so I just opened up my heart to her and I was sitting there in the hospital room. I just said, mom, I'm trying so hard, but I feel like I'm failing so often. 
And I said, like today, I had these great intentions of teaching my girls piano lessons and playing with the children after school, but then I felt so tired, I just collapsed on the couch and I catnapped while they played with the train set and took turns on the computer. And my mom looked me in the eye and she's like, April, you don't really believe you're failing, do you? And I thought about it for a minute and I said, well, yeah, sometimes I do. And then just reading from the book what I wrote, I said, then she said those words that I was aching to hear. You must not listen to that negative voice for one minute. If you sit still, you'll hear another voice, a more powerful voice, telling you that you are doing a wonderful job. And I feel like sometimes we just need to hear our mom say, you're doing a really good job. Because the voice in our head is telling us, I'm not doing well enough. It's too hard. I'm tired. I'm sick. But when you can remind your child what they are doing so well, and when they can see that you see the value in what they're doing... Like that means a lot to them. I mean, I'm sure you have times in your life where you feel like, oh, I'm failing, I'm falling apart. But when someone can tell you, hey, you're doing a really good job, and especially mm-hmm. when that someone is your mom, that's huge. Yeah, I feel like there's just this like sigh of relief and comfort when the people who know you best, I'm like, they they would know if I was failing. I mean, they see the worst of me. My parents, <laughs> totally. my kids, my husband. And when they can look at me and say, honestly, you're doing a good job. I just feel this comfort and relief. And there's actually a great article by Christy Wright, who I know you've worked with. Yeah. And she says it's called something like the f- the five most powerful words or um, you're doing mm-hmm. a good job. Five. Yeah. Five words. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> the, the five most powerful words you can say to someone are you're doing a good job. And she shared the example of when she had a new baby and she was up in the night and he was crying and she couldn't calm him and she was starting to cry and she was so overwhelmed as a new mom. And, and her husband came in, it was the middle of the night and he came in and saw the state which she was in with this hard baby. And he looked at her and just said, you're doing a really good job. And how much that meant to her just to hear Mm -hmm. that in that hard moment. And I love that your mom spoke those words to you. And you were an adult then. It's like, and you never stop needing your parents' reassurance, even when you're an adult. Totally. And I think of her all the time, like when I'm having a hard day, like, what would my mom say to me right now? (laughs) Like, she wouldn't say, man, April, you just really have not worked hard enough this week. (laughs) She she would be cheering me on and saying, you're doing such a good job. And the thing is, when you actually look at your life, you realize that you're doing a lot more than you think you are. And when you can Mm -hmm. acknowledge all that's going into your work, all that's going into your family, I mean, it's pretty amazing when you stop and think about it. Well, uh, thank you so much for sharing your heart and sharing about her. To end the episode, I just wanted the listeners to hear you in your voice reading the rest of that essay that changed my life about how my children want me. So I'll just have you read the last portion of that. All right. My daughter Grace loves me to sing baby mind to her each night before bed. When I go out of town, she misses that special ritual. We have recordings of Michael Crawford and Alison Krauss singing their versions, but Grace doesn't want those. She wants me. So I recorded myself singing Baby Mine and emailed the audio file to her and to my husband so Grace can hear her song before she sleeps. As far as she's concerned, my untrained voice belongs at the top of the charts. A few months ago, I was practicing sideways Dutch braids on my two daughters. 
They had found these great how-to videos online, and we set up our comb, brush, and hairbands in front of the computer so I could become an expert. Halfway through the braid, my fingers got all tangled up, the hair was too loose, and one of my daughters had been sitting with her head to the side for several minutes. Feeling extremely frustrated, I said, that little girl in the video is so lucky to have a mom who knows how to do hair. My daughter stopped me in my tracks when she responded, but I have a mom who is trying. My mom is in her 70s and her memory is starting to go. Her sweetness and love are as strong as ever, but when we talk on the phone, she can't remember the last time we spoke or the last time we saw each other. At the end of one phone call a few weeks ago, I whispered, I miss you, mom. She said, oh, I miss you too, but we'll get together soon. You can come down to the park and we'll get an ice cream cone at McDonald's. I replied, yes, that will be fun. But then the tears started and I had to use every ounce of control to keep my voice even so she wouldn't know I was crying. What I really meant was, I miss being able to talk to you, Mom. I miss laying on the grass while my children make a hopscotch and savoring our long phone conversations. I miss you remembering all those secrets I used to tell you. I miss you asking me if I'm okay. I miss seeing you read books and hearing you sing while you do the dishes and having you drive out to my house without getting lost. I miss you remembering how much I need you. My mother didn't specialize in home decor or gourmet cooking, and she didn't lift weights or run marathons, but she makes me feel like I am the most important, wonderful person ever born. If I could pick any mother in the whole world, it would be my mom. There's something deeper going on in family life than can ever be expressed on a social network. Whatever it is we feel we are lacking, can we collectively decide as deliberate mothers that we are not going to sit around feeling discouraged about all the things we're not? Can we remind each other that it is our uniqueness and love that our children long for? It is our voices, our smiles, our jiggly tummies. Of course, we want to learn, improve, exercise, cook better, make our homes lovelier, and provide beautiful experiences for our children. But at the end of the day, our children don't want a discouraged, stressed-out mom who is wishing she were someone else. If you ever find yourself looking in the mirror at a woman who feels badly that she hasn't yet made flower-shaped soap, please offer her this helpful reminder. Your children want you. I'm so grateful to April for sharing Zoe with us, and I wanted to remind you of the three takeaways for making the most of everyday moments to build connection with your kids. The first is to celebrate with them. Show them through your actions and your attention that what matters to you matters to me. The second is to make the most of the best 12 minutes of the day. So when they wake up, when they leave your home, when they return back home, and when they go to bed. So those four times, three minutes each, and consider using some loving sayings or rituals to anchor them day after day, year after year. And third, tell them you're doing a good job if you sense that they're discouraged. Remind them that they are not failing. And these are things we can do better as moms without adding much of anything to our already full plates. And that is good news. Also, I have several copies of April's book that I will be giving away in connection with this episode. And all you have to do to enter is share one specific moment that you had with your mother 
that built connection and let you know that she loved you. And I would love it if you did it on Instagram or Facebook and tagged me with at 3 and 30 podcast. But if you don't do social media, just shoot it to me in an email at 3 and 30 podcast at gmail.com. And most importantly, make sure that you share these memories with your mom and tell her what she taught you. I know that that will mean so much to her. And don't forget, if you're set to private on social media, I won't be able to see your post. So screenshot it and send it to me in a direct message or on email. I truly love each and every woman who's part of this community of mothers. I love getting to know you better through the periodic giveaways and challenges that I do. Happy Mother's Day and have a great week with your family. I'm Stacy Toth. And I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne. And we'd like to invite you to come listen to our podcast, The Whole View. Each week, we follow the science for an in-depth answer to a listener-requested topic related to health and wellness. But we're not your typical health show. We're talking emotional and physical, looking at dozens of scientific studies to support our answers. You might be surprised what the science can tell us. When we share practical tips and embarrassing personal stories, we make sure no one is left thinking perfection is the goal. In fact, this one time at Bandcamp... Uh uh, not now, Stacy. Oh, right. Sorry. I was about to get on a soapbox again. The whole view is exactly that. A comprehensive and holistic look at important topics that likely resonate with you. We also take a body positive approach. And instead of engaging in diet culture, we focus on what the actual medical research says are the healthiest choices in terms of diet, lifestyle, and non-toxic living. And we're not afraid to bust myths that are trending in health conscious communities. Join us to laugh and learn and just feel like you're hanging out with your two nerdiest besties. Check out the Whole View podcast wherever you listen. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode.